0: Stand by for a start. Racing at $210,000
1: at a stella done, Well done.
2: Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the shortlist, the official podcast of the Federation of Bloodstock Agents Australia, live from the Gold Coast Magic Millions Yearling Sale. You can probably hear some horses behind me waking up for their breakfast. This podcast is brought to you by our fantastic sponsors. IRT and Stable Financial and joining me today to learn a little bit more about our sponsors are Lockie Ford from IRT and Adam Timms from Stable Financial and to help me steer the ship through this conversation is the FBAA's international man of mystery, Mark Player from International Thoroughbred Solutions. Gentlemen, good morning. Welcome to all of you. Good morning,
1: Shark and um, great to be on again. Good morning, Shark. Good to be here. Good morning, Shark. Thanks for the
2: opportunity. Adam, you're, you're not on the Gold Coast. Uh, judging by the three heads that are staring at you down this Zoom conversation, are you wishing you were here with us?
3: Oh, there's a bit of FOMO. There is definitely. Um, I don't normally miss, but um, yeah, I think everyone's uh, no doubt had a good week by the look of things.
2: Mark's picked me up on the the way to the sails this morning. And Mark, you're t- just telling me you've been up here for 10 days. You had a quiet meal last night and you're up for a swim and a walk this morning before... Before, I'd say most people would uh, would have opened the shutters on the eyelids. Oh,
1: you have to do that up here. I mean, it, the, the thing that gets me through the sail up here is the walk along the beach and the swim in the morning because it just sets you up so well for the day. And it is actually amazing how many industry people you see down there. It uh, does get a bit um, disappointing when you've got to take the old T-shirt off to get your dip and um, you're sort of looking around at who's looking at you. But anyway, we, we sort of, we overcome the shyness and get in the water, but it's, it's just a great start to the day. And um, how lucky are we that we
2: are on the Gold Coast at such a wonderful time of year? It's some people have different avoidance strategies on these sort of tours, you know, um muting the phone, do not disturb, claiming illness. But Lockie, you've you've gone with the tried and true. You've brought the family up for the week. So you've got a genuine excuse to be home early, tucked up in bed.
0: Yeah, I use the family as a bit of an insurance policy. Um, you know, you get the phone calls to go out for dinner or go for drinks. And uh, sorry, guys, got the family. It's uh, it's worked out every time. And uh, I'll continue to use it for many years to come,
2: I think. A smart play there. I think I'll put that one in the playbook for years to come as well when the Sharkettes get a little bit older. Uh, look, the FBA really appreciates the support of both IRT and Stable Financial. Uh, And the support they've put behind this podcast throughout the series, so we thought we'd take the opportunity, I guess, to get some background on both companies and and the people behind them. And Lockie, we know IRT have been moving horses for you know over forty five years around the world. When did you get involved, and and where's your passion for racing come from?
0: Yeah, so I got involved with IRT about uh, seventeen years ago, um, along with. my business partner, Chris Burke and, and Quentin Wallace, they approached me a number of years ago to get involved. Uh, I'd sort of been involved in horses um, through family. We'd we'd had a close association with the O'Brien family. My father did medicine with his father. And so we'd always grown up with the O'Brien family. So my interest probably with horses sparked from there. Uh, and then once I got involved in it, I'd, I sort of, you know, I thought, oh, logistics, that's not really for me, but um, it was a fascinating industry and it's such a great industry to be involved in. And it was, It was one of those industries where, in what IRT does, where you actually, everything you do is to try and help someone else. So um, that side of it, I really enjoyed. And the challenge, there's a lot of challenges that come with moving horses internationally. So that's how I got involved. And I'm still going strong
2: now. Mark, it seems simple, doesn't it? You buy a horse in one country, you put it on the transport and it bobs up in the other country, you know, shortly after. But there are a lot of things that need to be organised and sorted out behind the scenes. And often things don't go smoothly as possible
1: oh look they they really do and you know we we all as as agents buy horses around the world not just in australia but all around the world and you know we, we are very lucky to have a trusted partner like irt where we can literally just send an email and say we've got horse x we want it to get to australia as quickly as possible um, and then that's the end of the logistics we have to look after. Um, dealing with professionals makes such a big difference in this game and having trusted professionals that know the game inside out, that will do all the all the work for us and checking all the, the flu certificates, all the background information that has to be done is really invaluable to us as members of, of the FBAA and then to the, our clients, the owners, because it becomes a one-stop shop.
2: It's structurally, Lockheed there's offices all around the world, isn't there? Is. there? Yeah. It's, it's like you've got a base in every location and the communications back and forth throughout all those uh, those bases?
0: Yeah, so IRT would, would be the biggest shipping agent for horses around the world, globally. Um, we have offices in Australia, Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, we've got one in New Zealand. We've got one in Germany. Uh, we have one in Newmarket, in High Street Newmarket, just behind Tattersall's. And then we have one in Chicago, which services Kentucky, and one in LA. Um, so yeah, it's a bit—it's a big operation, and there's no other sh- shipping company around the world that has that type of infrastructure. Obviously, with that type of infrastructure comes a lot of uh, coordination, but it also gives you a, a point of difference with your clients as well, because you, you can service the, the world. And,
1: there, and very much so, that you, you know, when you're away at different sales around the world, you know there's always going to be an IRT person there. Yeah, and that that face-to-face yeah. contact that you can establish at the sale makes an enormous difference to to the confidence that the job's going to be done, not just properly, um, but it's going to be done safely and quickly.
3: Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at The Stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying
4: about it. When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT. The world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion.
2: In a previous episode of the podcast, we had Peter Ford and John Ford on to talk about their background and the boys were telling stories of corralling horses on the tarmac at Tullamarine Airport and sort of getting them onto cargo planes. But Things have come a long way since then.
0: They have. They have. In, well, in most jurisdictions, some some still a little bit cowboy operations, but, you know, especially here in Australia, we've, um, with the quarantine moving to Mickleham for imports, um, we actually established a a sort of subsidiary business called First Point Animal Services, which is services Melbourne Airport um, to safely unload and load horses. And it's been, you know, we set that up probably six years ago, and that's just been a fantastic initiative and really safe for the horses. And, um, you know, for us, it was a bit of a no-brainer. Um, with some changes that the government made with the legislation that made us do that but it's been a great initiative for IoT.
1: so how many, and that's not just for horses is it of course any animal that comes in yeah. to yeah. do quarantine so yeah. people bring their cats dogs whatever in there yeah. that's coming through they they go to facility through.
0: yep totally they uh well, we call it first point animal services because we're a point of point of difference and we anyone anyone can use it so you know you could be new zealand bloodstock or uh, any other shipping agent or any other cattle dog mover and you can use that facility but it's been you yeah, know it's been fantastic
2: so how many thoroughbreds are you moving every year? How many come into Australia?
0: Uh, into Australia, I was actually talking to Tubber about this this morning. I'd say about 800, not, wow. not including New Zealand, uh, was last year. It's been a very big, that's a heavy year though. You know, most years probably more like 600 horses. Uh, and then on the Tasman, there's, you know, a couple thousand
2: move in and out every yeah. year.
0: So I'd say globally, we probably move about 10,000 horses a year.
2: Wow, That's amazing. And obviously European trade into Australia, New Zealand, the Asian market, they're they're our three obvious. But what are some of the places, I guess, more far flung that you've had to send horses to over the years?
0: Yeah, so you usually know Australian's not going very well when it gets sent to the Middle East or something Ooh. like that. So uh, we've sent we've sent horses to Turkey, we've sent horses, we send horses up to Indonesia. <laughs> um we've in we've a lot of horses in and out of south america um up to both america and and europe with uh, polo ponies because it doesn't just move thoroughbreds um you know we move standard breeds, we move equestrian horses um polo ponies and there's a lot of movements that move around um especially in that transatlantic market through europe and america and and south america so yeah all over the
2: place really Any sort of memorable movements, things that have, uh, I guess, strange requests? I know sort of horses can be celebrities at times. Do we get owners saying, oh, he only likes, you know, red hay or something you know yeah. weirdo sort of things like that yeah no
0: you do get that you probably get that more in the equestrian market okay where it's a more a personal relationship with the horse rather than in the thoroughbred market which or standardbred market which seems to be more commercial um but we've had some really unusual movements you know i remember Seamus Mills approached me one of your bloodstock agents who approached me a few years ago to move a mare out of uh, Argentina uh, no not Argentina Venezuela right Uh, and there were huge concerns at the time on horse swapping so you'd buy the horse and the horse that you got wasn't the horse that you actually bought so we had to go through a whole process of you know dna checking making sure we had the right horse and then we actually get the horse to the airport of venezuela and it's in an open top crate and i'm thinking oh my god this may not make it we eventually got it out and um we got the horse to australia the horse had to do a six-month residency in the u.s and then came down to australia and um, Seamus had a lot of luck selling a uh, one of the offspring at the Easter sale, I think, last year, sold for four hundred thousand. So wow. yeah, that was a really nice
2: story. Reward for effort there. Yeah. The,
0: um, going back to some of the other movements, um, Black
1: Caviar, of famous when she went to Aspen, yes. Yeah. Um, wore the compression suit. Is that a trend that's been followed
0: or was that sort of pretty much a one-off? We haven't seen a lot of the suit used. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the, pro- the problem with the suit uh, or in general is anything that the horse is on the horse, you know, even light rugs, those types of things. They get very hot in their boxes. So the plane sort of usually would be at about 13 to 15 degrees inside the actual main deck freighter. But within the stall itself, it actually gets quite hot with just general horse heat. So the problem with something like a compression suit is that the horse was basically just blowing up with heat. Um, So we actually, in in that instance, we actually cut the suit off um, in flight.
2: Wow, that's a, an aspect of that trip that we probably hadn't heard. It's a, that's a new one. It's not in the book.
0: Yeah. Another yeah. chapter required. Well, there was, another, there was another chapter to that story, and I think it was actually documented that we, he was actually doing his post-arrival quarantine, or her. She was doing a post-arrival quarantine in Newmarket to come back after Ascot. Uh, And she was nuzzling at one of the posts, and she hit a beehive. And oh. she got stung by a massive amount of bees. And, uh yeah, she dropped down, and we had to get her sort of quickly you know, get some antihistamines into her. But yeah, she, she had a, she had an interesting time.
2: Amazing, amazing story and an amazing horse too, to go over and, and still prevail after all those little uh, hiccups along the way.
0: The shuttle standings, like do, do you enjoy dealing with the, the shuttles coming up and down each year? Yeah, look, they're, they're, they're a key part of our business. And and it's for us, it's, it's quite rewarding. Cause you know, you come to the sales here and you look through a sales catalog book and there's probably not a horse within any of these sales that we haven't touched at some point in that page, whether it be a stallion or a mare or whatever it is. So um, the shuttle stallions themselves, it's a lot of work. You know, the reward for effort is really just getting them here.
1: And it'd be the highest value shipments you do. Oh
0: yeah, yeah. huge amount, yeah, yeah. So like the government, for instance, they won't allow a filly in the facility at our request, uh, which took a lot of lobbying um, during that stallion period, just purely for the value of those horses.
2: Yeah, Yeah. it's amazing. There's a few slides there. I can imagine. The the Racing Victoria regulations that have come in, in the last couple of years, uh, you know, around the Melbourne Cup and, and the the death of horses in the Melbourne Cup, that has been a, a real talking point in the industry for the last sort of eighteen months or so around the spring carnival. And we've seen a drop-off in European involvement since then and and Japanese involvement as well. What's the impact been from your point of view, from a horse movement point of view? What are the clients saying to you over there? What's the what are the pain points? And, and will we see numbers increase again, do you think?
0: Under the current veterinary requirements, no, I don't think so. Um look, we 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 are a facilitator, so we uh we, we get set the rules and we just follow follow suit. So we don't get too much uh, involved in the political side, although we we would sometimes like to. Um it has made it very challenging though. You know, it's it's taken away the speculation for trying to say, Hey, I think I've got a Melbourne Cup horse because they look at the barriers that are required to actually enter the horse to come. And it sort of just turns guys away. And I think that the other thing that they need to realize is they're dealing against an international, racing circuit. So, you know, you've got Dubai, you've got Hong Kong, you've got uh, Breeders' Cup, Saudi. you've got Saudi now coming on, you know, they're throwing huge amounts of money and you go to something like the Tattersall's horsey training sale up in the UK and the Australians are now competing against the Saudis and the Qataris to buy horses. So, you know, that's an emerging market that's going to, you know, will have impact on Australia um, from a buying point of view, but it also, it gives these guys competition for where they can race their horses. Yeah.
2: Regulation Adams always an interesting part of any industry, and from an accounting point of view, a, a finance point of view, there'd be all sorts of tax regulations and implications that'd bob their head up that you'd come across from time to time.
3: Well, yeah, we we focus one hundred percent on the horse industry. We're a typical accounting firm, and we uh, obviously lodge tax returns on behalf of clients and prepare business plans and financial projections, etc. But um, it's a unique industry in the nature of it and understanding it, but also from a tax perspective, uh, there's unique um, tax considerations. It's quite tricky, uh, but look, it's it's such a commercially minded industry now. Um, far from a cottage industry, that's for sure. It's global, as you guys have have um, mentioned. Like one third of our client base are internationals and non-residents, so. Um, in fact, we, we've worked with IRT a few times haven't we, Lockheed. And just yep. an example is when, a you know, one of those stallions lands at customs, um, the owners of that horse need to find 10% being the GST at customs. So that can be problematic from a cash flow point of view because it's a big number. But, um, yeah, look, it's, um, for us, it's, it's educating um, banks, it's educating the tax office. I mean, they are, are looking at the industry closely. They'll probably be at that sale now. There's data matching capability. Um, they're conducting what they call a the Next 5,000 program at the moment, where they're auditing the top 5,000 wealthiest families or taxpayers. Um, and with that, you get a lot of horse participants. So we we work closely, um, you know, with clients, but also other accountants. Uh, you know, we work with the big four, Deloitte, Ernst, etc., and just bring our expertise to the table because, um, as I say, a lot of it is just being able to talk the language that we all take for granted. But um, when the ATO asks you, you know, what's a yearling, it's not a great starting point sometimes.
2: And so is that, was that effectively the genesis for for your business, for Stable Financial? Did you recognise that as somebody with an interest in racing, that there was a niche there, a service niche that needed to be filled?
3: Oh, for me, it was um, obviously got a strong passion for the industry, you know, um, going to school with guys like Matt Allison and Simon Zara and, and your mate Gator, etc. But it was a, for me, it was a, a unique opportunity to marry my passion with what I'd learned at uni. So um, I think I probably didn't, you know, that was over 20 years ago. That was before GST started. So late 99, showing my age a bit there. But who would have foreseen, um, where we've come since then, in terms of the, the scale, um, and, and as I say, the commercial mindedness of people, um, we, we regularly do uh, conduct business meetings where you know there might be a member of the FBAA in that meeting, um, us, um, obviously the, the owners and breeders that we deal with, and it's all about trying to mitigate the risk, documenting everything, and um, and also with the ATO in mind, I think. Um, that, that recent FBAA uh, advertising program swim between the flags, I thought was brilliant because for us as trusted advisors, we need to ensure that's happening as well.
2: So I think anybody that's owned a horse has got to the part of the registration page where it says, is this a hobby or are you registered for GST? And I think a lot of newcomers would think, well, oh, hang on, of course it's a hobby, tick the hobby box. When does horse ownership and horse business transfer from being a hobby to being a, a business that the ATO would be interested in?
3: That's a very good question, Shark. So look, it really does depend on the circumstances. I, I think it's safe to say that if you're racing only, um, you've got shares in, in race horses, you're not breeding, you're not trading, you're not pin hooking, uh, that it's a hobby, um, Just despite the scale. I mean, we were aware of one case that went to the ATO, the High Court, where Somebody was employing sort of over 20 people, and the ATO were arguing that was a hobby simply because that owner, um, uh, that that taxpayer, had racehorses only, and they were relying on prize money. So where you're relying on prize money as your only source of income, um, it's difficult to argue that you're you're a business. But um, not easy to give you a simple answer on that one. Other than if you're racing only, I think it's, it's safe to say that you're a hobby.
1: Okay, fair enough. We'll take that. What about- how, how big's your business grown to uh, yeah. over the years? What sort of scale? Employee numbers, those sort of things.
3: Oh, look, um, we're, we're currently 11, including me, um, you know, which is not a massive size, but it's not, not too small. Um, as I said, we've got about a third of our clients are international non-residents. We've got about 220 client groups. Um, we've grown probably at the rate of prize money, Mark, I'd say. Uh, which is strong growth, um, but I've got a really good team. And more importantly, I think the client base, um, I really enjoy. We mainly work with horse owners and breeders, uh, but also the the some trainers, syndicators, jockeys. But I also enjoy my advocacy roles. Like I'm currently the treasurer of Thoroughbred Breeders Australia and Oz Horse um, and had been on the VJA board as well. And just you know, working with industry participants, trying to further the industry uh, and and dealing with the the risks that present themselves. But it's, we all love the horse, but it is a people industry, isn't it? You know, it's um, there's so many great stories. I I, I just love um, seeing clients have success at, you know, the sale ring this week and and on the track. And it's like you're, as Lockie said, um, he can see sort of on every page they've they've touched one of the horses on the page. But um, for me, You know, as every race goes by, there's some sort of interest there. So um, yeah, just love it. Very lucky, very fortunate.
4: When it comes to the transport of your valuable thoroughbreds, look no further than IRT, the world leader in horse transport. IRT has serviced the international market for almost 50 years with offices in Australia, New Zealand, Germany, the UK and the USA. Their experienced staff are with you and your horse at every step of the journey. IRT are proud to support the FBAA in enhancing and promoting the Australian thoroughbred market. IRT, your horse, our passion.
3: Adam Timms here. Stable Financial has been helping thoroughbred businesses since before GST started and we enjoy some incredible long-standing client relationships. We're very happy to support FBAA and its reputable network of advisors. As the Bloodstock agents facilitate trading opportunities, the stable makes sure that horse owners, breeders, trainers and syndicators are getting Group 1 business and tax advice. Please visit our website and get in touch with our awesome team at the stable. See how we can add value to your horse business and let you focus on finding winners rather than worrying about it.
2: Tell us about syndication. Obviously, everybody listening will be well aware that Australia is the home of racehorse syndication, but you can syndicate broodmares, you can syndicate stallions, obviously, when they go to stud. From a breeding point of view, is the process any different with syndication with breeding stock than it is with racing
3: stock? Yeah, there are different rules. Like um, when you're when you're dividing a horse into fractions or, or smaller interests, we we fall under um, a managed investment scheme. So, we won't go into the technical detail, but the Corporations Act basically um, looks at the, the the horse as a financial product. Believe it or not, so we. We've got a sister, one of our companies is called Stable Connect. So it has an AFSL that allows us to promote and manage horse racing and breeding syndicates. Um, the, the stallions are, are different in that um, you've, you've got a limited number of owners. Um, you've got um, a stay standing agreement, et cetera. But with the racing, we're guided by um, uh, what was known as a class order, now an instrument, 790. Which says there's certain things you need to do to fall under that instrument. Um, for example, you can't have more than 50 owners. Um, you can't have the value of the horse more than half a million. Um, but what 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 it's done is allowed uh, obviously these small fractional interests to to be had uh, in racing. And and I, I really think that middle market don't get enough credit. Um, the syndicators really don't get enough credit for. For for what they're doing um, to support the buying bench um, at a sale like Magix, where they're they're basically a wholesaler, um, then going to the mums and dads, it's they're taking a lot of risk, um, and they're needing to to be compliant, as I say, with the Corpse Act, um, and and that's where we come in to to sort of give them the support and background um, uh, to to make sure that they're swimming between the flags.
2: Could those mechanisms? I know, I know, it's, you're dealing with you know ATO and ASIC and everything else, but could the mechanisms around that managed investment scheme umbrella be more specific for racing? Could things be made easier for syndication?
3: Well, the the, the problem is the Corporations Act is the Corporations Act, regardless of the industry, um, it is what it is. So it it would require lobbying and change to legislation. Um, where we are fortunate is that ASIC have delegated the regulation to the PRAs, so obviously in Victoria, Race Victoria uh, uh, are in charge um, and equally Race in New South Wales, et cetera. So we enjoy a good relationship with the regulator, I suppose, because we're not dealing directly with ASIC, we're dealing with the PRAs. Um, in saying that, look, our, our syndicators that are under our licence, there's about 37 of them. They they understand what they need to do. Um, the 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 process becomes very streamlined. We've got a good onboarding process. Um, we've got a fantastic um, uh, person, Ashley Carpenter, who who runs that for us. She's fantastic with the the process, and um, I think the syndicators just understand what's involved and just just get on with it, you know. Um, so um, I I think too, Shark, that it just it provides a layer of a layer of confidence for the investors as well, because you you know that um, they're, they're being protected. Um, not just our industry, but any industry will have some people that come into it that do not have their their clients' interest at top of mind. Um, so you know, I think that level. Of, we can flip it as a positive that because we've got these regulations there, they do provide a layer of protection that then results in more confidence and investment in the industry.
2: Talk about syndication and there's certainly been lots of syndicators active on the Gold Coast so far. And, and Mark, you've been here for, as you said, 10 days, you've been watching the action. What's the market feel like to you? From a, Has it gone ahead again? Has it maintained from last year?
1: Look, I think the figures are very similar to last year, but the big difference this year is the breadth of the buying bench. Um, You know, Every time you seem to, to sit there and want to bid on a horse, there seems to be genuine bids coming from around the room. Uh, it's nothing to have six, seven bidders on a particular horse. And that breadth of the buying bench is then reflected in the sales results where you look through and there's there's not many new names, but there's a lot of names there. And we're not seeing the dominance of last year. say like the Kieran Maher and David Eustace team buying a very large number of horses. Um, they have bought less horses, um because the competition has been so strong across the board. and and um you know the syndicators certainly have played a massive role in that. um they you know they are up there and a lot of them have up their their price limit. sort of thing. a lot of the syndicators now operating around that sort of
2: forward of up to the five hundred mark that Adam mentioned. There's the expectation, I think, from people that have been playing and they've been buying shares in horses that, you know, things have become more expensive. The rest of our lives have become more expensive, haven't they? So we'll, we'll, you'd sort of expect that horses would be too.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And one of the interesting things coming into the sale, I think there was a little bit of trepidation as to, you know, would the the, the syndicate investors have the, the wherewithal to actually be able to do things with rising interest rates and all those sort of things. But the general feedback from the time that syndicators have got on the, on, on the complex and talking to them is that, you know, they're, they're very confident that this sale was going to be strong. Uh, I think that's buoyed the vendors. Um, and then it's buoyed the action in the ring. So it's been a very, very strong sale. Um, and, you know, we're going to see horses move all around the world from this again, aren't we? Like we've got the Japanese here buying, we've got um, syndicators in action. We've got syndicators from New Zealand and David Ellis across, you know, leading buyer on day one. Um, you know, it's just an incredible industry to be going ahead at the time it is. Um, and, you know, I think it's it's certainly, you know, yesterday we had the, what, the five million horses in, a, in 25 million yeah. minutes. It was an incredible
2: sale. Lucky, how many of your clients have sort of made touch before the sale and said, look, we're going to be there just warming you up, be prepared. We might need to send a horse to XYZ if we're lucky enough to buy one.
0: Yeah, well, we're sort of in a unique position with yearling sales where it's really only the Japanese who would send, or New Zealand, um, that would send horses out of here. So the Japanese are very organised. Um made sure we knew their itineraries and we sent up um, Hiro, who works for us, um, looks after our Japanese clients. He came up for a couple of days and they bought, bought I think they bought one Shadai, um, which will be prepped and then sent back over there in March uh, and a few off to New Zealand. But uh, a lot of our Hong Kong clients are here. Uh, and the good thing for the industry here with Hong Kong is those horses stay here for 12 months. You know, so they then put back uh, those horses into the system for braking, et cetera, which is another benefit for the for the industry down here in Australia. So, it's, um, yeah, it's great been It's a yielding sales for us and a great opportunity to see our clients. Uh, but the actual amount of work that we get out of yearling sales is probably not seen for a year or two. I,
1: I think um, most people in the horse industry just expect the good guys at IRT, like Adam <laughs> and his team, just to be at the end of the phone whenever we need them, rather than, rather than being too proactive at times. I think we sort of um, <laughs> depend on them to provide a very quick service um, without any notice most of the time, and I'm sure both
2: both would agree that's the case. Well, I was, I was going to say to Adam, when you see uh, you know, there's a horse sale on you, so the phone rings and it's a syndicator's number on the end, you think, Here we go. It'll be, how quickly can you get this, this, uh, P, uh, what do you call them again? PDS. PDS. I was going to say (laughs) PDS. PDS turned around. We're going to get this horse to market. Well, come on. How quickly can you get your one turned around? As I said, Ashley. a couple of days on it because they'll be expecting whatever you say
3: now. As I said, Ashley Carpenter is an absolute gun. Absolute gun. (laughs) No, it's, um, it's interesting is that, that it's such a game of reinvestment, like, we all got involved for whatever reason, um, but there's no exit strategy. And if you have success on the track, and some of the syndicators will, you know, get involved in a filly, for example, and then you, you enjoy the journey of selling that mare, um, you know, off the track, and you make a good profit, it goes all goes straight back in. Um, and it's just this liquidity, if you want to call it liquidity, or this reinvestment that. Um, is fascinating, but it's just uh, it's just fantastic for the industry.
2: It's funny you mention that. Only two days ago, did I find myself in that position? A uh, filly of a, a mare that I raced with some friends, Ocean Embers, went through. Oh yeah, uh, went through the auction up here. A deep field filly, and I just thought I'll just watch this. Not with any haven't seen it. Not with any intent to buy. I'll just see how much she sells for. This will be a point of interest. Michael Friedman buys it. Oh yeah, I know, Michael. I might just send him a text. Well, within twenty minutes, Caitlin Smith's on the phone, and I found myself with a share of it. Or rather, Mark, my, my wife's found herself with oh, a share a, of it. A lady syndicate because it's a ladies syndicate, exactly. So we've, we've <laughs> got to, uh, the sharkettes are on again, and we've got we get to continue that relationship with Ocean Embers, which is great in a way, but sadly, uh, Adam, mm-hmm. as you say, the money reinvested. <laughs> I'd spend that money we got from selling ocean quite a few years ago, so (laughs) the money as well as some excuses. But I don't think I'm the only one doing that this week on the Gold Coast.
1: I think one of the amazing things has been syndication just how quickly everything does go to market from the fall of the hammer to the horse being up on websites um, to the shares being done. And, you know, if you look at some of the bigger teams doing it, um, you know, they've got the, the push emails out, you know, an hour later saying there's only 20% left. And then another half an hour later, there's only 10% left um, the, the the speed of our industry, I think, leaves the industries around the world way behind when it comes to this sort of thing. You know, Certainly when you go to, you go to sales in America, in Ireland, in England, in France, um, you don't see the same set you don't see the same level of professionalism, And to your point, Adam, the, the same level of protection for the investors. Um, and again, I suppose from an FBAA point of view, that's really important because we're all about integrity of what we do and we want to have the partners, um, be they the syndicators or the, or the shipping companies, that have those that integrity at their very core as
0: well. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I was going to say I'd, I'd echo that. You know, I we we're seeing more and more professionalism coming into the industry in the, in that front. Um, you know, we're getting guys making sure they're very clear on what the processes are for buying a horse overseas. They're very clear on what the budget is. Um, they know that if they book buy a horse for X, that it's going to they've got to add on the transport. Um, and they're also very conscious the the new generation of bloodstock agents coming through and and the the guys who've went it for many years, who probably know more of the tricks. They want, it, they want information. You know, they want to know what are the traps, what are the things that can stop us bringing a horse to Australia, like pyroplasmosis. Yes. <laughs> uh, which I think Sharks had, had a bit of a challenge with once before. Um, but they're, they're, they're becoming so much more professional uh, in what they do. Um, and for, for us as a business, it sort of mirrors what we like to portray ourselves as. So it's been, you know, for us working with the, the agents these days is, is, is a dream.
2: Boys, it's been great having you on the shortlist this morning. Uh, it's early in the morning, as far as uh, what a day what a day at uh, the Gold Coast looks like, particularly this deep into the journey. But thanks very much, Lockie. Thanks, Adam, and and thanks, Mark, for for being with me on episode eighteen of the shortlist. Absolute pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, Shark. Thanks, Shark. And thank you for listening to the shortlist. And remember, when you want to move a horse anywhere around the world, or if you want to get serious about your racing investments, you need to speak to IRT and stable financial. And of course, if you'd like to talk horse and bloodstock with an expert, make sure you visit bloodstockagents.com.au and get in touch with an FBAA member.